listening to The Jim Laird Show on Body IO FM, where health and performance collide with your host, Jim Laird. Hello and welcome to another edition of The Jim Laird Show brought to you by Body IO FM. I am your host, Jim Laird. On the line with me today, we have Mr. Pat Davidson, Dr. Pat Davidson. And, um, you know, I will admit, you know, I love doing podcasts because I suck at writing and doing content and all that. Part of it is because I'm, I'm, I'm so busy coaching people. And I like to help people and I like to get people to think about things in different ways and create discourse, which is something Dr. Pat Davidson is fantastic at. Um, part of the reason I do this is selfishness because I get to shoot the shit, so to speak, with some of my favorite people that I follow that I learn from and anybody in this industry who's truly busy and is good doesn't really have a lot of time to kind of socialize. So this is a way for me to kind of learn more and to kind of, you know, sharpen my sword, so to speak. And then also bring great people on here to expose you guys to so that you can, you know, learn and take from it what you will and use what you want and, you know, whatever you want to want to do with it. So that being said, um, the reason I have Pat on here, uh, because he's incredibly intelligent, he is a uh, slightly shorter, uh, much more intelligent version of myself. Um and he has a phenomenal gift for taking really complicated things and bringing it down into a simple way that people can understand. He He's not only, you know, taught in college, he also works with everyday normal people. So his practical application of um, very complicated um, information is phenomenal. And so that's, you know, one of the reasons I had him on. So that being said, uh, Mr. Pat Davidson, uh, Dr. Pat Davidson, go ahead and give yourself a quick little introduction and then we'll jump right into chatting. All right, man. Uh, well, Jim, first of all, thank you very much for, for having me on here. And, uh, yeah, I think that you might have me slightly beat in the height department, but I definitely have you beat in the arm length department. And I yes. think that you might be the only person I can say that about that I know that, uh, you know, because I've got some serious gator arms, but you're straight like T-Rex. And, yes. um, and, and, and that's impressive to me. Like, that's incredibly impressive. Um, I mean, you're basically like God's gift to the bench press, I think. But, uh, um, yes. You know, it, it's, it's really, it's, I've never seen anybody sit in a long seated position on the ground and be unable to touch their fingertips to the ground uh, because I can get like mid knuckle. So it's, it's remarkable to see, see what you're bringing to the equation. You know, I, I tried to describe you to my wife and I just said that you're more me than me. Um, and, and she, she did kind of understand what that meant. So it's, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, but you know, uh, you try to do a quick, quick uh, background or intro of myself. Like, you know, I, I, um, I'm somebody like I, I, I feel like I, I played sports my whole life, and I was obsessed with training. 
And, uh, and that kind of just led me down the road of wanting to learn training science from a purely selfish standpoint of, of making myself the best athlete I could be. And, um, and I just found that I really, I like, I like training a, a tremendous amount and, um, and getting into strength sports through that route. And I also just loved learning training science. And, and that led me to getting a master's degree in strength and conditioning and then a PhD in exercise physiology. Um, and, you know, I, I started off my, my professional career working as a professor at a couple different colleges, Brooklyn College and Springfield College. And, um, and while I was working as a professor, I just never really ceased trying to train really hard. And, um, you know, I loved the, I loved working as a professor. I loved teaching classes and working with students. And, uh, and I always, I always wanted to like make it like, I, I liked getting into the weight room with students and like, and training as if we were, uh, the athletes that we would be working with in our careers, you know? And, um, and I just felt like, Hey, that's, that's what I want to do with my life. And I'm getting a chance to work with people who want to do the same thing with their life. And, and, uh, and, and I thought it was like a, a really great fit. You know, my, my career in academia, um, you know, it didn't, it didn't make sense the way that I, I was approaching it to like, uh, to other faculty member, like, like my department chair and, um, and other people in the same department I was in at Springfield College. They just thought I was too much of a, uh, a weirdo or like, you know, something, something didn't jive. And, um, and they wanted me out. And, and after I left Springfield, I, I started working uh, at Peak Performance in New York City, uh, which I thought was going to be more of a place where I would be working with like athletes. I just didn't really know what that place was going to be when when I before I came to it, and it it was really it's really more. Uh, it turned out to be like working with like rich, uh, unathletic general population people in New York City uh, who were just like motor morons and. And, uh, you know, you, it's like any personal training kind of deal. Like you spend more time just trying to enact behavioral change and, and getting fat people to stop eating, uh, way too much food and, and trying to get them to move in a way where they can, uh, sweat and not hurt themselves, um, and, and build some healthy habits in their life. But, uh, you know, I, it's funny cause I, I always figured I'd, I'd really, end up working with, uh, with athletes in some way, shape or form. And that's kind of what I was doing as a professor with, with working with, uh, with really like up and coming strength coaches who were, you know, either former athletes, current athletes, or I was also coaching, um, you know, kids that were competing in strongman at a really high level and, and have gone on to continue to compete in strongman at a really high level. Uh, but you know, for, for me, like, uh, I think it's been a gift to, to learn how valuable it is to coach in the general population realm. Because, uh, I'll tell you what, if you can, if you can coach those people towards under, like, if you can get them to enact behavior change and you can get those people to become proficient exercisers who can all of a sudden start to demo movements at a, you know, not, I wouldn't even say halfway decent, but maybe like a quarter of the way decent and, uh, and, and learn how to work hard when they should. Um, then, then it's like, you can coach anybody, you know, I get my hands on like someone that's quasi athletic and like, it's the easiest thing in the world, you know? And, um, uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of like for the most part where I'm at, you know, uh, in terms of my day to day, I also, I've, I've, uh, I've tried to continue to write a lot. You know, I've written two books, mass and mass two, 
and um, I've done a number of presentations. Um, you know, I've the I've I've got a website now, drpatdavidson.com, and and that has pretty much all the stuff I've ever done consolidated into one place. So, our articles, uh, links to books, uh, links to presentations. Uh, I got a couple big ones that are on there. Rethinking the big patterns, and then uh, the reckoning one and the reckoning two are, are probably the big boys that are available there. But uh, you know, I I just. I'm planning on continuing to just kind of push things as far as I can. And, and, um, I really like learning about, you know, different, different, uh, sort of, of topics that, you know, I feel like I spent a tremendous amount of time learning the basics, anatomy, physiology, uh, training science, you know, all the fundamentals I, I put, put in there first. And now I, I like to dabble in some other areas and, I know we're going to talk about uh, evolutionary information today, and and really the presentation I did at uh, at Mike Ranfone's place for the Reckoning Two was um, was really all about taking a look at uh, at the evolutionary drivers of what led our species to present itself as it does, and um, and and just trying to get get under the hood and and figure out who we are and why we are who we are. So, uh, hopefully that's a, a halfway decent, uh, intro. Uh, but you know, I, I, what I'm looking forward to on this is I think both of us are, we're, we're similar age and, and we've both spent time competing at a high level in, in strength sports, you know, um, powerlifting on your end and, and strongman on mine. And, and, and I think that, uh, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I think that I've, I've learned a lot of valuable lessons competing in, um, in strongman and uh and i've learned like the pros and cons of of weights in some ways for for human beings yes and uh you know because i think that that some people think that weights can cure everything and um and i'm like i you know i've i've taken weights to the extremes and i've i've hung out with people that have taken weights to the extremes and like i learn from the extremes like you know, if, if you're going to tell me that this is a good thing or, or what the benefits of this thing are, I want to see what the end of all ends is and what that looks like. And um, and I think I think we can both agree that there's there's a tremendous number of life lessons that come from from what we've done. But it's not all, you know, cupcakes and roses and sunshine and rainbows and, and that kind of stuff. Like, you know, if you lift enough weights, uh <laughs> it can, it can do some really crazy things to your body and, uh, and not all, all great things either. No, um, that's for sure. Um, you know, it's interesting because if you want to truly learn about a car, drive it to its limits. Yep. And, and, and that's something that, um, you know, all my experience with trying to push my body beyond, uh, its genetic potential and it's you know it's funny we joked about my arm length i used to argue with uh you know i'd say hey look you know i'm pulling this thing past my belly button yep. when i deadlift i should get another extra 100 pounds on this this damn thing so you know the fact that i could pull like 725 from the floor yeah that's... i was like i should get i should get extra credit for this you know you're doing deficit but, deads uh, man you're doing deficit i'm doing deficit deads, deads yeah. every single deadlift yeah. um you know these angry flippers I also beat you on something else too. Uh, I beat you on the uh, the Neanderthal score. Oh yeah, you blew I me think. away too. Yeah, which which was kind of shocking, but um, you blew everybody away. I think I got 
even even my my friend Ethan Grossman. I don't know if you've met him, but I mean he's mm-hmm. he is a monster. But I'm pretty sure you even blew his score away, and he's like he's deep in that Neanderthal score on there. But <laughs> you're you're like a whole other species, man. It's awesome. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting. That's for sure. But you know the the thing that's really helped me is by pushing my body to the limits. One, it and plus what I've learned, you know, from PRI is how the body compensates, mm. um, and and the strategies it uses um, when put in highly stressful situations. And then the other thing that I can also have some credibility when I talk to people is the difference between performance and health. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when you push performance, a lot of people, you know, that I see that I meet with on a daily basis, your daily, you know, like you talked about um, these, these executives and things like that, they think that they need to push themselves and train like Rocky Balboa to look good and feel good. And it, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. Um, you know, and um that being said, and, and, you know, I'll say one more thing before we get into our main topic, something that you, you, you brought up that I beat interns over the head with every time they come in here is, you know, you think you're going to get into this business to work with high level athletes. Well, one, they're not available yep. to you um, most of the time, unless you're somebody like Cressy, who's highly specialized and for years and years and years has gone after a population, but even Cressy will tell you his gym wouldn't exist if it wasn't for general population clients. Mm-hmm. You have to be the best beginner coach possible because just about everyone that walks through your door is going to be a beginner. And if you can coach a beginner, you know, and that's one thing I really appreciate about you because you're completely honest. And I've been very upright and forthright too, is when you have a freak athlete, you really, it, it there's nothing you can, unless you really screw them up. Like they are a freak athlete because they can adapt to just about anything. So, you know, there's a lot of coaches out there who are just lucky because they're in a situation where they're getting the best recruits and they they might not be the best strength coach because they really, you know, when you drive a Ferrari, (laughs) um, you really don't have to be that great of a driver to drive fast, you know? So, but if you're, you're driving a car that doesn't have as much power, you have to be a much better driver to get the most out of the car, you know? So that's, that's something that I, that I really appreciate you and your forthright and your honesty about that. Cause a lot of coaches are, you know, take a lot Dude. of credit uh, for, for stuff that they really shouldn't. And and on the flip side of that too, a lot of coaches get blamed for things that really are beyond their control. Yeah. Um, and you know, it like, there's so. a few things I want to, Cause I think you actually like, you just brought up like three super important topics. One, one being, um, you know, I want to go through these in an order too, but one coaches that take credit for, um, for great athletes, uh, two, the performance versus health kind of topic and, and three, uh, sort of extreme training methods for general population clients. Um, and so I'll, I'll start with, um, with, uh, coaches taking credit for athletes. And, you know, you see this all over the place. And, uh, and, and I think that it's, it's really easy to do that. Like, Hey, look, who doesn't want to be thought of as really good? I mean, everybody does. It's just like, it's human nature. Like we all, we all have egos. And I, if you don't have an ego, you're probably not very good. You know, it's, it's like, I, I don't know anybody that's truly selfless or altruistic or any of those things. I'm not. 
uh, I want to be the best. I want people to think I'm the best, all that sort of jazz. Um, it's what drives me. Like, why would I do anything? But, um, you know, it's so friggin' aggravating when people try to like, you know, they get into these pissing contests and the thing that they pull out is like, well, how many Olympic gold medalists and world championships and, uh, NFL and NBA and major league baseball and NHL trophies. Can you say are on your wall? You know, that's what makes me the best. And it's like, are you friggin' kidding me? Like you're, you're taking credit for the, the gene pool that's walked into your door. Like, uh, that's, that's insane. Like, um, you know, there, I don't, there is no great way of measuring who's the best strength coach or who's the best physical therapist. But it's like, there's a lot of people that try to like self proclaim themselves and, and use these like completely asinine, uh, measuring systems to try to give themselves the credit for it. You know what I mean? And it's like, I, I you know, I've seen it recently with like, so with, with people that are very, very high level individuals in in their fields and like big names and and same kind of thing like you don't believe in my methodology well you know all of the championships that have come through my doors would disagree with you and it's like whoa man like like slow your roll like first of all you're you're, you're the kind of person you don't need to say anything like that to to build your name up any higher it's as big as it can get and um and and dude that's like that's like just such a that sounds like such a rookie move uh, and such a, like, uh, I, I don't know, like it's a f- almost, almost totally insecure. insecure. That's that's the right word. It's like, you don't need to be insecure. Like of all people, you don't need to be insecure. So it's, it's just kind of crazy, but like, can we please stop doing that as a field? Like maybe we could have a rule that we can all go with. Like as soon as somebody pulls that move, there's like a, a safe word. Well, I'll say Oklahoma. And and everybody will know what that means, um, you know. But or they'll start or they'll start smashing into each other. If it's you and me, we'll just like run full speed into dude, each yeah, other. Yeah, we'll Boom. sandwich them. You know what I mean? Like you, I'll take them low, you take them high because you're the taller one, uh, <laughs> right? And it still won't be that high. <laughs> no, but when I say high, we're talking hip height. I'll just go for the knee. Yeah, Wait, like it'll be level, ugly. That's right. Uh, but you know, number two is is kind of like this this topic of health versus performance. And I don't think anything could be a bigger topic, quite honestly. I think like this, this thing is, is sort of like to me, like one of the, the biggest, most fundamental things going. And to me, like health is simple. And, and I've started off seminars. I like to really like get under the crowd skin when I start off a seminar and I try to ask questions that I, I, I yeah, right. That. Like I know people are going to struggle with the answers to, and I'll just get super aggressive and really start pressing them. But I'm, I'm like, what's your definition of health? And, um, you know, a lot of times people like nobody has a definition of health. And um, but I actually do like my definition of health is aerobic fitness and joint movement variability. And then I say, well, what the hell is is, uh, a, you know, what are those things? And and to me, I have definitions of those things. Your aerobic fitness is your VO2 max score. Uh, and then, well, what is VO2 max? And VO2 max is demonstrated by the Fick equation. VO2 equals cardiac output times the AVO2 difference. And it's like, well, what is the cardiac output? Cardiac output is heart rate times stroke volume. Can you increase your uh, cardiac output? Yes. What variable can you increase within that? And the answer is stroke volume because you can't increase your maximum heart rate. Uh, how do you increase your stroke volume? 
you increase your stroke volume by increasing the total blood volume in your body. And then what increases blood volume? And the answer to that is that exercise triggers an increase in plasma proteins being inside the blood vessels and plasma proteins act as osmotic agents and pull more fluid inside the blood vessels. If I have more blood, then every time I return more blood to the heart, I fill the ventricle with more blood, which stretches the ventricle out and ultimately makes it bigger. And if I have a bigger ventricle pumping out more blood, I increase the amount of blood that's sent out to the body. So I've taken care of the cardiac output uh, piece of the, of the FIC equation for VO2. And again, it's cardiac output times AVO2 difference. So if I'm going to affect cardiac output, I have to affect stroke volume, and I affect stroke volume through blood volume. And then if I'm taking a look at the other half, AVO2 difference, A is arterial, V is venous, and O2 is oxygen. And that essentially means what's the difference in the amount of oxygen in the arterial side of the blood versus the venous side of the blood. And arteries carry blood away from the heart. They carry blood to the capillaries. At the level of the capillaries, oxygen leaves the blood and enters the tissues that need it. And uh, on the venous side, I have less oxygen because, well, quite frankly, some of it left to go into the tissues to supply it with uh, what's necessary for uh, aerobic respiratory uh, metabolism. And uh, and then it's kind of like, well, well, what? And and again, like if I'm looking at this thing, VO2 equals cardiac output times AVO2 difference. If cardiac output goes up, VO2 goes up. If the AVO2 difference goes up, then VO2 goes up. So I'm always looking to be able to get more oxygen out of the blood to go into the tissues, which would make the AVO2 difference go up. And then it's like, well, what factors would make AVO2 difference go up? And the answer to that is uh, more capillaries at the tissues that are working that are trying to extract oxygen from the blood and more mitochondria inside of the uh, cells at the ends of these capillaries that are working. Uh, so, you know, the things that I'm trying to do, make your heart bigger, uh, put more blood vessels into the working tissues of your body that consistently work for the activities that you do, and put more mitochondria inside of the cells of those working tissues. So it's like a three-pronged attack for the most part. Um, and, and if I can do that, then I, I, I improve your, your overall health from the perspective of the aerobic side of the picture. And then when it comes to joint movement variability, you know, I always say, well, what's the, what is your definition of that? And again, like nobody has an answer. Like they just sort of say like, kind of like, uh, industry buzzwords that don't really mean anything. And I say, well, you have good yep. You have good and I'm like, okay, well, what does that mean? Blah, blah, blah. And then I say, well, I have a definition of what these things are. And uh, and I say that if I put you on a table and I measure the degrees to which your joints move, you know, in, in the sagittal, frontal, and transverse plane, that they should match up with the norms for humans that are in uh, kinesiology textbooks. Uh, that's, that's my start to that. And then uh, I, I then put you – like that tells me that you have a chance – to move properly in the activities that you're going to do. Uh, the table tells me that you can enter motor learning 101 and have it be an opportunity for you to be successful in motor learning 101, but it doesn't tell me that you can actually do things properly.
instead, what I try to create is because we work in the gym, I try to create competency checklists for the movements that we do in the gym. And, you know, I mean, I spend like a whole, the whole seminar of uh, rethinking the big patterns going through what those competency checklists are. And you, you've watched that thing. So, you know what I'm talking about in terms of like. Yeah, and it's 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 just for people listening too. it's phenomenal. I mean, the teaching that he did in that is excellent. Um, so if you ever want to look at things from a different perspective, that would be highly. But, you know, that's that's kind of my definition of health is aerobic system. And you can move your joints through the full ranges of motion and you're a competent motor learning mover after you have the potential to do it. You know, that's that's it. Like that's I try to be as binary and uh, concise and accurate in the starting definitions that I have. And um, and I was, if, if you're a good mover and you have a big aerobic system, you're really increasing your bank account of health. All right. And that's kind of how I look at it. Like you've got a bank account that you can draw from. And and like as human beings, as kids, like we should be increasing this bank account. We should be building this thing up enormously. Like and that's what kids would do if we just got the hell out of their way and left them alone. They would play outdoors all day, dusk till dawn. And um and by doing that they would accumulate tremendous amounts of low intensity activity, they would do a million different movements, they would play and have fun. And and you would see aerobic fitness and joint movement capabilities and motor learning be phenomenal. All right. Instead, we stick them in uh, highly structured programs. And they don't get any aerobic base, because they're having to work way beyond their capacity. And to survive these things, you know, we've shared, I've shared videos with you of some of the kids that I've worked with, uh, teams that these kids are doing basic fundamental things that shouldn't be that hard. And they're using strategies Mm -hmm. that we would use to lift, you know, towards the end of human performance in strength training for basic things that should be just common and and i think that's the big thing too is when people come in here they're like i want to get in shape so i'm going to run a marathon or i'm going to do this you know the kind of stuff or i'm going to i need to get more mobile so i'm going to do hot yoga they don't realize that the best way to build a base and to build capacity is through consistent constant movement within your threshold and then once you have that then you can build the uh you can push the you know 70 80 90 percent of your work needs to be done within your ability to build the capacity to push your car to the end of the spectrum and everybody doesn't want to hear that and and you can't you know and i I said this at joe ken's seminar yesterday we did the block zero program uh which hopefully i'll have joe on here soon to talk about that because we that's a desperate topic uh that nobody really talks about everybody argues about shit that really doesn't matter um (laughs) And they, yep. they, they, they forget about this base level of performance that we need to build in kids so that they can handle high intensity stuff. Yep. And I said, you know, we really can't do a better job than nature. And nature's way of getting mammals to handle stress is play. Yep. The, the period. Totally. That's it. it is. That's exactly it. So yep. would you and- also add to that um, 
sorry to cut you off there, but would you say variability in general, just over the whole system, the well, ability to eat a huge carbohydrate meal, the ability to eat a low carbohydrate meal, the ability to have high blood pressure, low blood pressure, switch back and forth from these things, the ability to breathe in different ways, uh, the ability to handle different temperature uh, environments. I think, you know, in my mind, that would be an also a great individual, uh, uh, indicator of health is your ability to switch uh, from one extreme to the other off and on without having getting stuck in one of them. So I think that like, uh, you know, I want to finish my my train of thought with health versus performance, but I will definitely answer what you just said first. And when I say uh, aerobic fitness and movement variability, in my opinion, it covers all of the things that you're talking about. And, and I'll, a lot of times I'll just use the term joint a lot. But when I think of movement, I think of all of the things that you just talked about in terms of like the ability to consume different kinds of foods, both like like because everything comes down to physics and mechanics at a certain point. You know yes. what I mean? Like the movement and electrons and all that yep, good stuff. Totally. Like the movement <laughs> of particles going through your digestive system, the movement of particles going through the bloodstream, the movement of those particles crossing membranes and moving into cells and like driving the movement of smaller particles inside of the machinery of cells. You know what I mean? It's all machinery and movement. And, and the, and when I say aerobic system, like I'm thinking variability the whole way, like to me, it, it's like, it's contingency plans, it's backdoor roots, it's redundancy, it's these it's nervous system, it's yep. the whole system. But an aerobic system, you can use fats, carbohydrates, proteins, lactate, you can use a bunch of different things as the substrate that can fuel that system. If I look at another system like glycolysis, glycolysis can only be fueled by glucose and glycogen. If I look at another substrate system like phosphagen, phosphagen can only be fueled by a creatine phosphate system. You know what I mean? Like I have less, sure. less options when I go to these other systems. So the variability of the aerobic system exceeds the other ones. You know, when like I, I love what you're talking about in terms of like just m metabolism. You know what I mean? Like m metabolic flexibility, which is a topic that Mike T. Nelson just crushes all the time. But uh, for sure, like I, I want to see that you can eat anything and be fine. Like I want to see that you can exercise under any sort of intensity zone and be fine. I want to see that you can handle uh, different kinds of temperature and thermoregulate under different circumstances. I want to see that you can not eat and be fine. Like I want to see that you can be fine no matter what. Like even on my worst day, I'll step up and be better than you on your best day. That's kind of the mentality that I try to get across to the athletes I've coached. Like never make an excuse for like, oh, things weren't perfect, so it went wrong today. That's like that's just a weak mentality. That's like the, yes. the mentality of of privilege and the mentality of being soft and like that. There's no modern modern society. I think that would be yep. the, uh, the, what you're looking at there. There's no place, man. There's no place for that. Like you take care of what you take of what you can take care of today, because all that all that matters is right now. And if you're so weak and you need crutches to get through every element and you need a foam roller to be able to prepare for this, then like, I got no place for you. You're not the kind of person that I want to hang out with. Like, like step up, shut up, put up or get the hell out. You know, it's, um, 
I, I don't know. That's that's just kind of maybe that's just where where we at. Maybe we're dinosaurs, but I don't think so. I think that's going to come back around again in a big way because there'll be some people that can do that and and they'll they'll demonstrate dominance over other people. Um, but you know, like to to finish up on that performance v health idea, like I'm talking about, like that bank account of of yes. of aerobics and variability of movement, and because when you go into performance you are going to have to drain that bank account. And I, I would just say that the more shallow your health bank account, the less far you will be able to go towards your own extremes of performance because you're going to probably invariably become less variable uh, the more you try to drive uh, the farthest level of performance you can in specific realms like – you know, if you're going to be a, a super strong lifter, guess what? You're going to have to dump some of those other planes. Like, do you want to move in the transverse plane under a barbell that weighs 800 plus pounds? I, I hope not, or you're in big trouble. Like, <laughs> you, you better teach your system how to not go to places. Um, or like Hussein Bolt is not going to win an agility contest. Yeah, no, no chance. And if and if and if he does, then he's not going to be a world record holder. Yep. Period. Period. And and I think that's one of the biggest things that coaches uh they they go, Well, everybody has to be able to do this, everybody has to be able to do that. Well, maybe in the yep. beginning, but when you're when you've got a top fuel dragster, it just has to steer straight yep. ahead. And that's it. Yep. And your job is to just keep that top fuel dragster healthy enough to go in a straight line. And and you know, that that's I think a lot of coaches don't understand that and and dealing with performance athletes you're basically managing dysfunction like that's, that's it the name of the yep. game and i think a lot of people just don't understand that now if you have somebody that's injured you've got to establish enough variability so that they can start training mm -hmm. again but the last thing you want is to start you know fixing some you know high level performers um you know, make him normal because that, you know, I was at a shoulder symposium, uh, I think about six, seven years ago and, uh, Ben Kibler, uh, Dr. Kibler got up and I really appreciated his honesty. And he goes, you know what guys? I said, I have destroyed the career of probably 80% of the guys that I've worked on for the last six years. Cause I over repaired their shoulder. Mm. He's like, we cannot establish a normal range of motion for these athletes. We cannot over repair them because the reason they can throw a baseball is because they have a torn wheel. Yeah. Like that's what allows them to throw baseball. And if we over repair that shoulder, they're done. Yeah. So, you know, I thought that was uh, astounding, especially for a medical doctor to get up there and say an orthopedic surgeon to say, you know what? We've learned that, Hey, we've, we've messed this stuff up, you know? And this is what we've learned from this. So and I think a lot of coaches want to make things perfect, which is fine, but you have to take into context who you're dealing with. hundred percent. You know, turning us, turning us into a yoga instructor, uh, is one, not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and, and two is going to be detrimental for our performance. Yeah. I mean, I still like crushing barbells, you know what I mean? That's probably going to be the thing that I, I do until I can't do it. And, um, you know, I, I, I just look at it like. I want to keep doing it. So I have to, I have to just make sure I don't completely deplete that health bank account. So I, you know, I just do sure. more aerobics now than I ever did before, uh, just so that I can continue to kind of go back to the well 
and it's like I'm, I'm not yeah. I'm not trying to compete at this point anymore. It's just I don't know what else to do with my life, other than I the, understand. Yeah, like you know, other than to push the barbell. Uh, so it's it's like if I don't have that, you know, I'll probably be depressed and commit crimes and you know end up in a gutter or something like that. Uh, like seriously though, you know what I mean? Like. Uh, oh, I yeah. know. I'm right. I'm right so there it's, with you. It's just kind of like that. I I need that, so I have to do all these other things to be able to keep that in my life. Uh, which, well, you know, when when I was competing, um, you know, the thing that got me was my lifestyle. Yeah. You know, I was training super hard. I was using performance enhancing drugs to prop me up, and I wasn't sleeping enough. I was working too many hours, and I was like, "Well, it's a day off, so it's off." But the stress that I was yeah. under away from the gym and you know, eventually I luckily my heart or anything like that wasn't my weak link. I ended up getting an you know, ultra colitis, mm. uh, which I could manage through lifestyle change and, and all that sort of stuff. But that was the huge wake up call for me. So now when I sit down with a client, it's like, okay, you know, you're working 60 hours a week. You've got three kids. You're working two jobs. You're doing all this stuff. We have to make some adjustments here. You have to get your sleep. You have to, you know, walk outside every day. We have to build your bank account so you can come in here and spend it. Like if you don't have that bank account to spend, you're just going to go yeah. into debt. So if you're not willing to at least manage your lifestyle in some sort of way, I'm not even going to take you on right. as a client. That doesn't mean you have to be perfect, but what's the point? Like you're not going to get anything out of this training unless you basically are doing like some low level aerobic type stuff. Um, if you're not going to make an effort to build mm -hmm. that reserve and, and that's the hardest thing to get people to understand because they want to fix a lifestyle issue with fitness yep. and it just, it just does not work. And that's why all of these, you know, high intensity places are constantly having to get, you know, more people and stuff because they just, people go there and they do these spin classes and they do these like competitions with heart rate monitors and they do all this stuff and they just don't have the reserve yeah. to handle it. And they wash out and they have to get constantly get new clients running Groupons and all this advertising and stuff because they just don't have that base level bank account to handle the stress yeah. of training. It's interesting because I think that like we're conceptually exactly in the same place, but we, we approach it from like the, from different realms or different, different directions because you know, what I do with people is like, because you know, and we're, again, we're going to talk about the evolutionary components in this and we're, we're doing it in any ways. But, um, you know, like I, I, when I think about things changing, you know, and, 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 um, you know, I, one of the best books I've, I've read on this, this whole evolutionary stuff is the story of the human body by Daniel Lieberman. You know, that's, it's just so yes. freaking good. It's unbelievable. But, you know, he, he gets into this concept of, uh, you know, the big, the big factor that led to the evolutionary drive towards becoming humans was bipedalism. And, and then like what, what actually f led to bipedalism? And, and the answer to that, according to, to that book is, uh, climate change that essentially during the ice age, Africa dried out and the, you know, it was primarily a, a rainforest, uh, environment. But during this drying out phase, the rainforest receded and these open woodland savanna environments became more and more dominant. And, um, and some animals, chimps, they just stuck to the rainforest and they continued to live in a small area and eat only fruits. 
And then the the other track decided to go out into the woodlands and and try to find food out there. But and, and you know, if you're starving, you're going to try to find a way like there's you're going to be forced to change. Um, and uh, and that force led to this strategy of of locomotion over much longer distances like chimps move about a mile a day at most versus like uh these these hunter gatherer uh ancestors of ours they had to start moving you know somewhere between like six and nine miles a day at a certain point and um and they had to come up with this revolutionary new strategy of getting from point a to point b which is this heel walking bipedal transverse plane trunk kind of gate system that we we adopted and uh and and but they didn't do it because they wanted to. They did it because they had to, because they wouldn't have been able to survive right. under any circumstances otherwise. And and I sort of I, I always look at it like nobody's going to change unless they have to. I, I, you know, I don't I don't ever change. I don't ever do anything unless sure, I have sure. to. Uh, so I'm always looking to put the pressure on myself. Like I'm the kind of person where I, however much money I make, I spend it because uh, well now I have to make more money. You know, now I have to work harder. I don't I, I just paint myself into corners so that I have to come out swinging or die. You know, and, and I, I don't think I'll ever lay down and die. I just don't think that's who I am. So I, I always put the pressure on myself. And um, and with clients, I do similar like, um, you know, I, I pick workouts that are going to be very challenging, primarily to their metabolic system. You know, it's it, just to scare them with heat and uh, and pH. Uh, I, I try to avoid load uh, on the skeleton, essentially. Like I, I pick things that are like repeats of 15 reps with tight timing confines and, and a workout that's like meaningful to them. But, um, you know, I, I usually put that thing on a Monday and and that changes people's behaviors on the weekend. And, and every single person that I work with in a personal training setting they say, you know, you're like in my head, man. Like I, I was, I'm like getting more sleep because I know I won't survive this workout if I don't. And <laughs> I'm eating better because I, I've learned that if I eat this way or that way before this workout, it's just like, it's not worth it. And, um, you know, like they, like people, people go through behavioral change, uh, due to the demands that I'm placing on them. I, I, Absolutely. And, you know, I think and I think you raise a valid point because we're both achieving the same mm -hmm. goal yep. with different means. And what I do works for me and what you do works for you. And I think that's a wonderful thing for coaches to get from this is we're both doing the same things. We're just I, using yeah, different it's, means. It's, it, you know, and, and, and that is something people get so caught up and you've got to do it this way. Or, but you, your goal isn't your, your, your goal is not to beat the client. To death. Yeah. Your goal is to get them to yep. change their lifestyle. Whereas, you know, most people, the most of the people that I attract are like women that are doing two or three yep. sessions a day. Like we can't, we just can't raise mm -hmm. their intensity. And what happens with the clients I work with is I'm like, let's go for a walk every day. Let's work on, you know, eating real food and getting your sleep. And all of a sudden without, with less exercise, they are able to lose some body fat. And yeah. Like, Holy crap. Oh my gosh. You know, they're exhausted already. They can barely function, uh, on my end. 
So that's what I've seen work with the mm-hmm. clients I work with. And, but I can see that you're, you know, and there's been times when I've used that approach on some of the type, maybe a that's guys the that difference I get, because I that mostly I, you know, get type a guys, you know? Right. And so, and so, and, and I think Paul check, you know, said that once, you know, he's like, if I got somebody who's super type a, he's like, I'm going to beat them to death. And then I'm going to teach yep. them how to meditate. You know, so I, you know, and that's the beauty. Like a lot of coaches like this way is the way you got to do it. You can achieve the same goal with different mm-hmm. tools, you know, and you have to find what works for you, whether it's an assessment or, or program design, like you can't, you know, there's no one way it's the principles. And I think that's why it's so important for us to talk about this is because if you understand the human organism, if you understand how we adapt or don't adapt, or adapted in negative ways, then you can work with the system, picking the tools that you want to get the goal. Yeah, you know, and I, I just look at it, it's almost the same thing as like people arguing over the tool in the exercise realm. It's like, we, we all agree that like, you have to do something that's kind of like a hinging movement. And, and you get some people that right. are like, you know, arguing that it's a trap bar versus a barbell. And it's like, uh, you're missing the point here. Like, you know, like this person is just lacking a hip hinge in their overall movement portfolio, like, or they have it, but they're just not loading, whatever. You know what I mean? And, and, and it's kind of like, yeah. I think good coaches are, are just saying like, you know, here's I, like, I understand the same thing that's missing from this person's life as you do. I use this tool and these are the reasons why. And then the other person can say, well, I use these tools and these are the reasons why. And, and that works. And it's like, yes, just good. There, there it is. Like there's, but yeah, it's like so many people yep. can get lost or like argue over things that just don't matter. Um, yeah, it could be a trap bar. It could be a kettlebell off a block. It could be a pull through. It could be, you know, I mean, we've had people in here that the only thing they can do is sit in tall kneeling, you know, and, and sit their butt back yeah. and sit up the best they can. Yep. Well, maybe you start with that. You know, and maybe you don't even go after the hinge and you do some other things, uh, some half kneeling or work on some other modalities. And all of a sudden, six weeks from now, you try the yeah. hinge again and they can do it. Or maybe they can't hinge right on the first pole, but on the second pole, yep. their hinge is perfect. All the time. I see that yeah. all the time. I see that, you know, and so it's the yeah. answer is it depends. You know, but but the goal is still the same. We want to have certain movement qualities with people, but you mm-hmm. might get there in different ways. Yeah, so it know? is it is cool. A couple bear crawls, a couple bear crawls, and all of a sudden somebody's hinge looks so much better. Or you might choose a PRI reset, or you might you know, you know, single leg lowering, or whatever it is that you choose. You know, there's ways of getting people to move better. That are yeah, and you know, like different. this that was something that I I really tried to get to the the underlying mechanisms of in, in the reckoning one. And, uh, I, I think like reckoning one where it was myself and, and Bill Hartman and Doug Kachigian, uh, you, you know, I don't know how many people were ready for that, that presentation, you know, and it's, uh, I, I got a feeling that that's one when I, when I put that thing together, I was like this, this presentation, in my opinion, is for people like five to 10 years from now to watch and um, to help them put some stuff together because I don't know who's ready for it now. And, and I don't know how many people are going to be ready for Doug or Bill's that they did. I, I really think that, that, that seminar, those two days were like for, 
for the history books, you know, so that people can go back in a few years and when they're maybe ready for it. Uh, but you know, to me, like I, I just spent the whole two days talking about the brain and, and just how every, like a brain is a memory prediction, uh, system that uses like, like behavior is like a observable outcome from that, but it's, it's all memory. It's all prediction. Uh, and it's kind of like your, your ability to form memories makes you who you are in a lot of ways, but your ability to make these memories is all association based. So it has to be based on something else that you know. And then once you, you form that memory, that memory is unchanging. Like it's, it's a constant, but the way that you, so you take a memory that exists in your brain. Maybe that memory is throwing a ball or swinging a bat or uh, a hip hinge or whatever it is. But it, it, that memory is whatever it is right now in your brain. And when someone asks you to demonstrate this concept, you're going to go into your brain and you're going to retrieve that memory and you're going to try to unfold that memory uh, to fit into the context of the environment that you're in. Uh, to execute this behavior. And, you know, we get to witness the, the memory in some ways. And, and it's sort of like, I, I think that the, the examples that I give, I try to give the easiest possible examples of this to people. Like, you know, you've got a memory of the way that you sign your name. So if you can just picture yourself with a pen in your hand and paper in front of you, you can go ahead and you can mimic this right now. You can just sign your name. You know, you can, you can go through the strokes and rhythms of that with your hand. But then imagine I, I said to you, listen, I want you to use your big toe and I want you to sign your name with your big toe. And, and then people can do that with their foot. Like, but I bet if you do it, you'll find yourself going through the exact same strokes and rhythm and direction and vectors with your big toe as you did with your hand. And if I was to say, hey, do it with your elbow, I guarantee it would be the same thing. Because the memory of this pattern of signing your name lives somewhere in the synapses of your cortex. And it unfolds itself uh, to be able to come down the motor cortex and command the muscles to enact the display of this pattern. And, and it's the same thing in terms of sports, where if I've got a shortstop and they're trying to turn a double play that where the ball is being fed to them by a second baseman, you know, the shortstop can automatically unfold this memory, whether the ball is thrown glove side or throwing hand side, whether the person is sliding into them towards their glove hand side or throwing hand side. They're simply, they will recall the pattern of catch and throw in this double play scenario where as long as they have the right memory and that memory should be some coordinated effort of commanding the muscles of the pelvis, then the thorax, then the shoulder, then the elbow, then the wrist to be able to, to execute the memory of throwing. But it's always going to be a slightly different throw, catch and throw, depending upon the circumstances. But if that person's – the closer that that memory is to optimal, the more different or variable ways that they'll be able to execute that in the specifics, the context of that environment. Same thing for a cross-country runner. Does a cross-country runner need to practice running up every possible angle of a hill 
that you can imagine with roots coming out at every possible angle. No, they'll just simply unfold the memory as long as the memory is optimal. And, and, but the thing that gets you to unfold that memory are associations, environmental signals that tell your brain that it's time to unfold this particular memory into a motor scheme. And, um, you know, it, and, and, and it's amazing the things that serve as triggers or environmental st stimuli. Uh, and, and like for, for us in our conversation, we can think about powerlifting because there's probably a lot of listeners that will relate to this as well. But, you know, if you're, if you're being taught by Louie how to squat, I'm sure that like he's going to have a million different lessons over the course of him coaching you that he's going to need to impart upon you about what to do with your feet, what to do with your legs, what to do with your trunk, what to do with your hands, what to do with your arms, what to do with your vision, what to do with the placement of your head, uh, what to think about on the way down, what to think about at the bottom, what to think about on the way up, you know? And, and when he first starts coaching you, he might have to use a lot of words. He might have to go through a lot of explanation. But as you learn that and you get more and more familiar with it, at a certain point in coaching, you can use one word that triggers this avalanche yes. of associations that lead you right to the important direct memory. It might be as simple as stay tight and you remember the entire cascade of things that fit under the umbrella of that one term. Uh, you certainly wouldn't get that the first time you tried to coach a 14-year-old, but over time, Something as, nope. as, as simple as head up could mean – that could mean so much to you, it's not even funny. Or you squeeze know what I mean? the bar or you know, whatever. Yep. And, and you know, to, to talk about your point, that's why a shortstop doesn't have to practice every single variation of a double play. 100%. Because their brain will figure it out. And that's why getting back to kids, what our society and culture is doing to children is criminal. Because their database is non-existent because yep. they're sitting on their ass in a classroom and they're playing on a tablet and they're not developing that base level of motor, you know, memory, like their, their memory bank, their database, so that they have this wide, you know, like I got a practical example. So, you know, yesterday, um, you know, when, when I went to Mike Robertson's thing with you, uh, with Lee Taff and all that. Health-wise, I wasn't in a, in a very good place, so I wasn't really able to participate. Well, yesterday at Joe Ken's thing, we did some field drills. And, you know, I haven't done A skip, B skip. I haven't <laughs> done backpedaling, any of that stuff in, you know, bear crawls. I do bear crawls quite a bit in my training. But, you know, I haven't done, like, you know, leopard crawls and all these variations and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I haven't backpedaled. But you know what? You know, 20 years of wrestling, football, all these different things, mm -hmm. even though I haven't done a lot of this stuff, I did just fine, you know, yep. and I was able to do it and, and it didn't look terrible. And uh, for a 43 year old, 255 pound dude who looks like a fire hydrant, dogs will pee on me sometimes while I'm walking down <laughs> the street. I did good, you know, and yeah. uh, and and because of all the database, the all the memories I have in my brain. Yeah. Um, you know, but if you take somebody who's never done a lunge in their life, it's going to be a shit show, you yep. know? And that's the problem with today is we've got these kids that are, that don't have this general movement base 
or you know general aerobic base and they can't they can't uh they can't they have to rely on um you know joints and 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 bony bony structures to be able to do what they need to do to survive that's exactly it that's exactly it from a movement standpoint they don't know how to access muscles yeah. for their strategy well and then we we see kids with like we get kids that come in here with resting heart rates of like 90 plus yeah like at 12 and 13 14 15 Mm-hmm. And like when I was th- 300 pounds plus my resting heart rate didn't get over like 75. Right. You know, and that's just like, holy crap. You know, like it's just, it's almost criminal. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is. And you know, I, you, you sent me over an article on uh zoocosis and I found yes. that to be one of the most interesting articles I've ever been exposed to. And, uh, and I do think it explains so much of just like, you know, yeah, look at look at animals in the zoo and they need Prozac and they need other other kind. They need Valium and Prozac and all these other psychiatry driven drugs. And and uh, and why? Because they live in these environments that are ridiculous. They're the environment is so different from the environment they should live in that it's criminal. It, yeah. It's disgusting. You know what I mean? You got you got that bear that swims in figure eights for 12 hours a day. Cause it doesn't know what else to do with its life. And trust me, I think about that and I'm like, well, I don't know what else to do with my life except push barbells around. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like I totally well, you, think you about do, that. You do live in New York, which is totally. probably, probably the most unhuman environment possible. And you know, and when you talk to people like people, I don't really think understand how much our environment has changed in a hundred years. Yep. I mean, we've gone from a from an organism that spent probably eighty five to ninety percent of its time outside in the sun, yep, doing manual labor every day, to an organism that spends. I think I saw something the other day that the average American spends twenty one hours to twenty two hours a day inside, mm-hmm. under fake lights, staring at a computer screen, uh, sitting on its ass. Yeah, and, you know that is going to have a serious biological toll on. The whole system, you know, from mitochondria all the way to dopamine levels to you name it. And yep. and we wonder why people are sick. You know, yep. it's like trying to drive a Corvette off road. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to work. You know, you know, it's again like Daniel Lieberman's uh, story of the human body. Like, you know, the, the premise of that book is that we are demonstrating what he calls mismatched diseases. And that the mismatch is between, you know, the genome that we are born with that came from, you know, uh, if you look at the, the Homo sapiens that we are as a species is a 200,000 year old animal. And we are the, you know, the last remaining uh, human genus that has come from like uh, our first, the first hunting and gathering biped. Uh, which seems to have been Homo erectus is a two million year old animal, um, and and Homo erectus evolved from like uh, you know other animals that that were similar going along that 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 bipedal track. You know, I think our last common ancestor with chimpanzees was somewhere between five and eight million years ago. But let's just say it's a it was two million years of hunting and gathering as an animal. And then 200,000 years of being what we are, exactly what we are. 
and we spent, you know, farming is probably about, uh, at most like maybe like 8,000 years old, something like that, possibly 10. And, and then the industrial era began 250 years ago. Uh, you know, and, and which is like nothing a second ago, nothing. Yeah. yeah like literally a second. Uh, so, and then the industrial era has changed dramatically from when it started to the last like hundred years, like 60 years, even, you know, like, or, or like early industrial workers. Sure. There were like some people that were sitting at sewing machines and that kind of deal. But, uh, but for the most part, we've never been a seeded animal until the last like 50 years. And, um, and it's just getting worse and worse and crazier and crazier. But, you know, Lieberman goes through and, and, and kind of unpackages the data on the number of calories per hour that you expend doing different kinds of tasks and compares like seated work to standing work and, and, uh, you know, hunting and gathering to persist to, um, subsistence farming and subsistence farming to like more modern farming. And then that stuff compared to, to post-industrial work. But, you know, he, he just has this, this quote in there that nothing compares to the, the, nothing compares to seated service work, which we've turned ourselves into from an energy perspective. And, you know, my big takeaway from, from the book is that like, you know, I was kind of talking about the fact that chimps, like chimps, chimps, uh, live in the rainforest and they eat fruit and they don't have to walk very far to get that fruit. It's, it's just sitting there for them. It's pretty easy, but they spend, um, you know, hours a day chewing food and grooming each other. But it, overall chimps activity level is pretty low. And then all of a sudden we were forced to have to like, you know, go out and move a lot, you know, uh, male, uh, hunter gatherers, uh, somewhere, but they averaged about 9.1 miles a day of, of, uh, locomotion and six hours a day of movement. And on big hunt days, they would have to go about 19 miles roughly. Um, so much more active animals. Um, and you know, ultimately I think that like as a species, we started farming and we didn't like it all, it happened around the, the, the Holocene, um, from a, a timeline perspective and that was post ice age when the climate became much more stable. Uh, so I feel like we were an animal that was, I don't want to call chimps sedentary. That's, that's not the right word, but more local. They didn't move very far. And then we turned into more of these migratory kinds of animals that were, that had to move a tremendous amount, uh, because the environment move, move with yep, the, food. the environment forced that on us. But when the environment became more stable, we, we really readopted a strategy of staying in one place with a farming, uh, mode. What's interesting about farming is, um, you know, if, if you're going to start farming, uh, what happens is you get, you get more total calories. It's less nutritious calories as compared to hunting and gathering. Um, and, but what happens is you get more calories and more consistent calories. And if you have more calories, what that does is it increases your ability to reproduce. So you have more kids. And the more kids you have, uh, well, now you have more hands that can work on a farm. So you become a better, a better yes. farmer, which leads to more calories, which leads to more kids, which leads to better farming. So it's a, a, a positive feedback cycle farming for humans. So once you start farming, it, it takes over and it, it, it changes everything forever. Uh, but it's super hard work. 
but now with this this new movement towards industrialism, uh, we have more calories, which leads to more people, which leads to more industrialism. And life begins to mirror industrialism in every way, shape or form, whether you're talking politics or school or even exercise where, you know, it's, you know, uh, standardized barbells with standardized shaped discs that we call plates and uh, exercise machines and measurement and and uh, and and all that kind of jazz that goes along with it. But um, ultimately, uh, where we're at now is we're like what we what are what the genome is desiring is the least amount of challenge to homeostasis that can present itself. You know, like this whole homeostasis, allostasis model, which, which gets thrown around, but, and I feel like people start talking about it and they don't really define it. So I'll do my best to quickly define it. Homeostasis is a, a limited number of, of, of measurements inside your body that can't change very much from a numbers perspective. So I think of temperature, pH, oxygen, glucose, things like that. Like my, my body temperature can't deviate dramatically or I die. My blood pH can't deviate dramatically or I die. My blood glucose can't deviate dramatically or I die. Uh, my partial pressure of oxygen can't deviate dramatically or I die. So I need to kick in all of these allostatic systems to be able to defend homeostasis. So if I start getting really hot, an allostatic response is that I start to sweat. You know, um, behavior is an allostatic response. Uh, you know, if I'm uh, going through a lot of movement, I'm going to need to uh, execute certain behaviors to allow me to acquire food and water or so that I don't die. Um, so, so we have all of these these allostatic things that are cost, they have, there's a cost associated with them. Like if I'm going to, to run, I have to adapt. I have to grow thicker leg bones. I have to build more mitochondria, but there's work associated with that internally. So it's, we have, I, I don't know, conservative genomes, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, if they're forced to have to work, they're they're going to like kind of overshoot sometimes. That's the super compensation theory in a nutshell. Like they're going to build above and beyond so that any threat in the future is less stressful than it was the first time. But there, you're also geared to kind of be lazy. You know what I mean? Like you don't yes. want threats to homeostasis. They're invariably uncomfortable. Uh, you know, nobody likes being hungry. Nobody likes being thirsty. Nobody likes sweating. Uh, so we've literally built these artificial environments that reduce the allostatic demand piece by piece by piece by piece. You don't have to thermoregulate anymore. You wear clothes. You don't have to thermoregulate. You change the dial on the, on the temperature. You don't have to be cold even when you're in the water. You can change the temperature on the shower. You don't have to be uncomfortable when you're sleeping. You got a blanket and a pillow and, and on and on and on and on and on down the line. But we've literally taken out the allostatic response to life through the art environments that we've built. And that's super appealing. You know, the problem is just that you never get to like blossom from a genetic standpoint into all that you could be because right. uh, well it, you know in life stress you know nobody ever achieved any kind of greatness 
you know, without yep. some sort of stressor, you know, like, and, and you know, Rob Wolf, I had Rob Wolf on the show back when his book came out, Wired to Eat. And he goes, you know, everybody thinks that, you know, people that are obese are lazy and all this sort of stuff. People that are obese are actually winning from an totally. evolutionary standpoint, <laughs> you know, and, and, and people that takes the whole guilt and shame part of it out of it, because guess what? If, you know, Lord forbid there was an EMP or something like that, who's going to yep. live the longest? It's not going to be the lean jacked people. It's going to be the people that have extra body fat yep. to live longer. You know, like people, people don't look at it from that perspective. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, so. the I've, I've heard Ben House talk about it before. The fact that we're not all obese is am amazing, you know, in our current environments. Yeah. Like it's, it's almost well, impossible, but. Just it's just, you know, like you talked about, like with pH and, and, and all these different variables, it is insanely amazing how well our body it's, regulates yep. itself. Like it just it just blows my mind. I, I don't think people realize how amazing the machinery mm -hmm. that we have is. I mean, it's 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 absolutely insane. Yeah, and, and again, like this is it's triggering a lot of things I've heard Ben talk about in in his lectures and various things that he's done, and and he's talked about um, you know a couple of things that come to mind. Like if you if you go into the the studies on the the Hadza tribe in Africa who are kind of like a, mm -hmm. a group of hunter gatherers that still exist, like their uh, I think their their total energy expenditure or you know, their metabolic data, like they're very similar to Western people. You know what I mean? And it's like, well, how is this possible? They move so much more than we do. But the way that their body allocates resources to different different things, like, you know, they just they just allocate more of their available energy towards physical activity. You know? So it's like yes. we just don't Well, that's where that that's where that whole yeah. article Joel wrote about, you know, your body's going to put things in certain places and you know, you, your body's going to do what it has to do to survive. That's exactly, what, the, you exactly what you're talking about from Joel um, on, on that exact same topic of like, you're just going to allocate it towards, towards different, like, I don't know, sources or avenues or whatever you want to call it. Growth, repair, metabolism, physical activity. You know, you're, it's like the shell game where you see, you know, guys doing that in the city with cards you know, like they're, they're, they're moving the three cards around, which one has the shell under it. And before you know it, you can't even remember what happened to it uh, because it's so good at just moving things. And like, it's, it really is incredible. Like, well, and, and people forget too, like if you're doing low level manual labor all the time, that's you're becoming yeah. so much more efficient at it. It yep. doesn't require the energy. You know, it's like, it's like us. You know, like we can do, you know, you and I can do yep. 400 pound squats probably every day, you know, and it's not going to beat us up very much. We could probably do it every yeah. day for a year if we had to, you know, but somebody who can't squat a super amount of weight, like it's going to rip them to pieces to do a 400 right. pound squat every day. Yeah. Because you know? it doesn't require as much energy for us to do that. And it doesn't, there's not as much damage on the system. Right. You know, so once again, it all comes back to capacity. And, and I think the bottom line is, is that, you know, in our modern world, we need to become a little more zoo animalish 
are less zoo animalish and mm-hmm. and become as much of a wild human as we can in our environment. And mm. you know, I don't I don't think people realize, you know, like the people Weston A. Price studied and and uh, you know, what's the other guy's name that studied? Um, can't remember all you know how sturdy yeah. these these like the Inuit and these different cultures like how durable and how remarkably incredibly fit and resilient these people were mm-hmm. and and are you know these hunter gatherer tribes and things like that so you know I, you know I think the bottom line is for the you know us is to try and you know in the best way we can you know get outside and and do some manual labor and and you know um expose ourselves to different temperatures and different environments to to uh you know give us some 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 resiliency so we don't end up a you know a slug with a feeding tube yeah man it's you know it's funny like cuz we've had these conversations prior to this podcast and i think about this stuff a lot and you know it's funny because new york it, it seems like it would be the most zoo animal like place that you could pick but in a funny way, it isn't. And part of it is because, like, I don't own a car. And most right. people that I know don't own a car. And I walk more than most people I know. You know what I mean? Like, or people that aren't from this area. Anytime I have people that stay with me, they're like, man, there's a lot of walking we have to do here. Sure, huh? sure. And I'm like, yeah, man, like, we got, I got to walk to the train. Uh, and then I got to walk from the train to where I work. And I got to walk to, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. It builds it in here. Uh, sure. And but then the trade off is, though, is the city's lit up like it's freaking 12 noon, 24 hours there, a day. There is that. But I have so you to get be, that since you get that uh, circadian mismatch. I have to be outdoors, though. You know what I mean? Like I. Yeah. And and it's funny, like I purposefully didn't wear a jacket uh, from February on this this past winter. And and I mean, it's probably a little bit easier for me to not do that because again, like five, six, 230 pounds. So it's like, I'm going to be able to deal with the cold pretty well. Uh, we can make some heat. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm still sweating, but, uh, no, I mean like, you know, my skin would get cold, but I, I just wanted to see like, can I adjust? Cause the first day I did it, I was like freezing, you know, walking around in a t-shirt in, uh, in like 20 something degree weather with wind. And, um, and I just kind of kept doing it day after day after day. And, um, and, you know, after a couple of weeks, it was literally no big deal. I actually started to, like, look forward to it because it was like, oh, I get to, like, feel my skin against the cold air and some wind on it. And, like, you know, I, I would walk by these other people in parkas and hats and they're looking at me like I'm insane. But it, <laughs> it was like I'm learning how to thermoregulate again. And um, yeah. and, and it, you can do it. It's really fast. It's not even that hard. It, it's sort of like. No. You know, I can see where all this Wim Hof Iceman stuff, like you kind of feel you feel something with it, you know, like y- you feel like much more rugged or something like. But, um, yeah, with 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 light and heat and all that kind of stuff, like y- you don't need these external buffers to this stuff. You got this meat suit that's capable of changing in dramatic ways and adapting and figuring out these things. And when you let it figure these things out and do what it was made to do, man, your genome, it, it gets, it, it gets to unlock like new keys. I almost think about it as like, you've got like with, with this is probably good if there's any kids listening to this and I'm sure there aren't, but you know, with people that have played video games and there's like cheat codes where you can have different weapons if you put in this code or something like that. You're like, like Contra. Yes, we'll date ourselves exactly. Here. What was it like? 
up, up, down, down, ABA, ABA, select or like start. That. Yeah. So, yeah. So like, uh, <laughs> totally, but yeah, like now you've got all these unlimited lives and guns and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but it's the same thing with your genome. Like if you just, if you, if you force it to be exposed to certain stressors, you're going to unlock new guns. Uh, and, and yep. it's kind of like, well, that's cool. You know? Uh, and, and like, I think we've, we've, we've kind of, uh, push the limit on how many guns you can unlock in terms of like just straight force production. You know, I don't know. I don't know yeah. if there's any more codes in that realm, but you know, you could unlock some different codes. Like if, if you and I decided for whatever reason that we were going to run a marathon on this day, a year from now, and we started actually training for it, like there would be some serious genetic upheaval happening inside of our, our, our genomes, you know, but we oh. would, hey, look, I guarantee as shitty. We yep, could do it because we're, we're, yeah, we could do it, but I, I, I would hate it too. But if you had to do it, you could do it. And, and there would be some, oh, some yeah. dramatic changes that would take place inside of our systems if, if we just. The only thing that I, I can't do is swim. Mm. Like, there's just, like, unless we can implant Buancy. some sort of internal life jacket device. Like, so. I went on a cruise over Christmas and uh, like I sink even in the ocean, <laughs> right? Like my art, like, do you think about these little propellers that I, these little mini flippers I have and as big as my ass is and as big as you my invert, legs are, right? like treading water is like, I just can't turn the propellers hard enough to like yeah. keep me up. Like I sink like a rock. The only time I've ever like, floated was in my float tank with a thousand pounds of epsom salt that's hilarious and so i went snorkeling and i had to have a life jacket on my upper body and then i had to put a life jacket around my waist and that's the only way i could stay afloat in the ocean hilarious (laughs) because it's just like it's a 255 pound brick with a giant ass. Now, so I, I, you know, if anybody needs a boat anchor, do you anchor, sink bottom like, half first and then go down almost like the Titanic? Dude, it just, just goes straight <laughs> to the bottom. Like, <laughs> like I dove in. Like I went before and um, and I was like, I just put a life jacket on and I jumped in and it was about about twenty five feet of water, and I went straight to the bottom <laughs> and I'm staring at these fish. And we were out, like, they, they told me it was, like, this, like, beginner snorkeling, and they took us out to, like, the continental shelf. Oh, so, shit. like, 100 feet away, there's, it's like, a this cliff feet, in the yeah. abyss. And I'm just, like, holy shit. And I can see it. And I'm sitting down here, and these fish are, like, What are you? These fish are, like, swimming around going, like, who the hell is this fucking <laughs> caveman at the bottom of the ocean? You're going to die. And I, I'm not, and I've got a life jacket on, and I'm not going up. <laughs> And I, so I'm counting in my head and I'm like, okay. And I start panicking. So I do the biggest <laughs> vertical jump that I can. And I thrust myself up and I paddle as hard as I can. I get to the surface and I'm like, oh my God. And I've like, luckily the dude was like, he could see I was like in trouble. And he like threw a rope over and dragged me back to the boat. And he's like, dude, I've never seen anyone. He's like, I've been doing this for like 20 years. I was like this Jamaican dude. And he was like, I've never seen anyone sink to the bottom of the That's life amazing. <laughs> and I know. And it's just like, dude, so swimming is like, I am Listen, definitely not. You got to go to the South creature. Pacific because that water is so salty. It's unbelievable. Like, 
or like great something, salt man. Because I, I I have similar issues, but on my honeymoon, my wife and I went down to Tahiti, and that stuff will keep you afloat. Like I was able to effortlessly yeah, nice. be on my back with my hands behind my head, and I didn't invert nice. and go down because I'll go lower half will sink first, and then I go straight down like a pencil. But uh, it's <laughs> it's pretty bad. So if we ever want to become competitive triathletes, we have to do it in like the South China Sea For or like sure. you know somewhere around Fiji, or we have to do it in like yeah. the Great Salt Lake, and then we're gonna have to have some sort of like super amazing mass to keep all that the salt, salt in the eyes was bad. Like I, yeah, that that was. Yeah. I remember one time I I was in the float tank. And you know you we've you've talked about you know sunrise sunlight for dopamine and float tank for dopamine and dude like I when I would I they made the mistake of floating for an hour once, um, before I coached and I came out and I was so stoned I couldn't coach dude I was I was like stoned out of my brain and I couldn't function because I'm I'm such a naturally yeah. high threshold guy that I shut my system off so, to the point where I. I what I did is I would float for 15 minutes before the afternoon session. I found that 15 minutes was enough time to kind of re-energize me, but not enough time to like completely, yep. you know, wash me out. And one time I was out like so cold that I just kind of flinched and kind of went Ugh. to the side. And dude, I got some of that water in my eyes and it was just like, oh my gosh, dude, it was just like, if, if you believe in hell, like that, that's that, that there was grinding and gnashing of teeth. Let's put it that way. I wow. Like, Holy wow. shit. That burns. And of course I'm, you know, I'm in this tank and I'm trying to find my way out and I'm trying to find the, we had a water bottle on the side and I'm trying to find that. Oh man. It was, <laughs> it was a very, it was a very high threshold uh, situation. I was, <laughs> there was some serious extension going on in that situation. That's ridiculous. That's so awesome. <laughs> uh, oh. We we could come up with our own uh, little swim. That team. would be the no one would watch that. That's the it sounds like the absolute least televisable thing of all time. <laughs> we could see who sinks the fastest. Like attach a rope to us and like have a competition. Like I said, you're more like... me than me. I, I I didn't realize that that was a possibility. But then I met you, so it's just kind of like all of these ri ridiculous things. Did that? Did that make you feel? Did that make you worse? Feel because I want to be yourself? the most me of me that I can possibly <laughs> be. But then that I realized there was you, and it was like, oh shit! Like I'm not even as good at being me as this guy is. <laughs> you know, it's funny you talked about unlocking guns. Uh, I'm sure there's some China, uh, Chinese scientist somewhere who's working on something. Oh, to for sure. Gun. I mean, like some CRISPR. And it, it and it's going to be and it's going to be genetic modification. You know, they're going to be taking viruses and injecting. You know, all sign sorts of sign me up. I'm I'm all for trying stuff like like <laughs> splice me with some gorilla <laughs> strength or whatever. Like, let's go. Like, I, I'll I'll be we'll do rampage. <laughs> And you know what's interesting? I don't, I don't really ever talk about performance enhancing drugs because of the stigma. But you know, people have always have asked me, why would you want to do that to yourself? Like, there was a point in my powerlifting career, if, and the, and they asked Olympic athletes this too. They're like, if you you if you were given a pill that you would win everything for the next mm -hmm. year and then you die, like ninety yeah. percent of them said, sign me up. You know, 
And that's the kind of mental for like the kind of men mindset it takes to compete yeah. at a super high level, you know? And, and there was a point in my life, if you just said, okay, you're going to squat a thousand, you're going to raw, you know, I used to bench with a shirt, but you know, you're going to bench 800 pounds and you're going to deadlift 800 pounds if you take this pill, but you'll die in a week. I'd be like, dude, like I'm there. Like, <laughs> give me three of them, you know? And, and yeah, just, just to make maybe sure. Maybe four. Will it, will it add another, will it add another yeah, 50 pounds to I my total? I can completely understand you know? that. Like, I don't know why some people, what, what are some people living for? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not living to be old. Like, that's not, that's not what it gets me excited. What gets me excited is to try to do stuff that nobody's ever done before, you know, or, or to see what I'm capable of. Like, and, and Hey, like people could argue, well, it's not really you if you're taking drugs. And I'm like, well, first of all, like it's way more fun to lift weights when you're on drugs. Like it's just way more fun. And it's, it's like you get to feel things. You're, you get to feel your body do things that it could never do before, you know? And, and that's just like, I don't know. Like I like to feel things like I, you know, I have a, a performance enhancing drug background of, of using that competing in strongman. And I've also got a, a pretty extensive history of recreational drug use. And, and a big part of that, I think in some ways, like it's obviously associated with like having some traumatic past and issues and stuff like that growing up. But also like, I, I just like to know what things feel like while being on this planet. Like I've got a limited amount of time to be here and, and I want to know what different experiences are actually like. And, and for me, I have to like live them and experience them to really know. And, um, and I'm glad that I've done all those things because it, it just gives me a different perspective on everything. And it also tells me, like, I feel like if you're, I don't want to, this is a terrible thing to say. And, and I mean this and I don't, and I don't mean this at the same time, but I feel like a, like it's almost a good thing for strength coaches to have done drugs at some point because you begin to realize what that feels like and how much that works. And you have a comparison stick to compare all other gimmicky shit to. You know what I mean? Like, I know what it feels like to take Tren and lift weights. And, and like, how profound a difference that is. So, you know, I can compare that to, like, well, if somebody says, I've got this new supplement or blah, 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 <laughs> or training method or I just invented this kind of resistance and it's going to make you so much stronger. And it's like, all right, I'll give it a shot and I'll try it and I'll, I'll run the course of whatever you say it is. And it's like, yeah, dude, like that's not the show. Like no. that doesn't change things the way that like, you know, I know what performance enhancement right. feels like, it's, you it's know, like and, putting one of those, uh, like one of those performance air filters on your car versus like a turbocharger or a supercharger. Yeah, like exactly. There's, it's not even it's not even close. And and you know, yeah. and we'll get into some politics here and stuff. And I'll probably lose half the people that listen to me. But I believe one of the main reasons performance enhancing drugs are illegal is because of the supplement industry. Mm. That that's, that's interesting. That's, that's my personal belief. Because if if you know, and and I'm not saying people should do performance enhancing drugs. It's very complicated. It's illegal. It's all that stuff. But, you know, for, for smaller dosages, you can get some pretty impressive improvements that you will keep with no major side effects 
that blow supplements out of the water. Yep. For next to nothing. Yeah. Like like you know maybe ten dollars a week. Um and and you know like make creatine look like you know even the best supplement is not even close. So yeah. I think there's a huge lobby on this. There's billions of dollars in supplements. And I think one of the main reasons they're they're illegal is because of that lobby. Because if hmm. if they opened it up and allowed people to take anabolics, if they could go to their doctor and get a prescription, um, which this this blows my mind too. We're going all over the place, which is really cool. Whatever, yeah, yeah. They will give women birth control pills, okay, which you know have all sorts of side effects with them. But in this country, all you'd have to do is give a man like two hundred cc's a test a week, and it'd be like birth control. Which yeah. is a lot safer. It's a lot safer for a man to take testosterone than it is for a woman to mess her whole cycle up. Because, like, you know, we could teach, we could do a thing on the male endocrine system in probably like half a day. Mm. Like the female endocrine system, like we're talking weeks. Like it's so much more complicated. Way in, more in, complicated. In, in yeah. my my opinion, but they'll give women birth control. But wh why not give a man a little extra testosterone for birth control? Yeah, like I don't. I it just, just, it just. I don't. Yeah, man. I don't, we, I don't we, understand. We can, it we at can all. come back to normal like that. Like a couple months, boom, we're like completely back to normal. Women right. are screwed for like, for for her forever. You know what I mean? Like their right. thyroid axis is trashed. Everything's trashed. Yeah. Like they can't come back and like. Yeah, well, but, but you know, I think I think the big thing, and I don't really like. I don't talk a ton about. I'm very honest when people ask me about it because and I think that's one of the biggest problems with the fitness industry is like do my program and look at the results I've got. Oh, by the way, uh I'm not telling you that I'm on Winstrol and I'm also on uh Primabolin and I'm taking GH and all this stuff. Yeah. And and you know and that's why I'm getting these results. You know, the normal person tries to do the program and they're like, gosh, you know, why ain't I getting anywhere with this? Right. So there's no there's no disclosure in the fitness industry or the modeling industry, the stuff these people are doing to look the way they're looking mm -hmm. or, you know, plus they're genetically gifted. There's been a number of times where I've had high school kids come to me and go, hey, dude, I'm going to do steroids. And I'm like, OK, dude, well, let's talk about this because I've done these before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, the kids, I'm like, first of all you're 15 or 16 so you've got more testosterone now than you will have for the rest of your life so why would you want to take any one do you eat breakfast <laughs> no uh do you sleep do you even train hard enough to make it worth like the whole reason you like people think performance like steroids are cheating you well, can just train more you, you you basically you take steroids so you can overtrain yeah. Like, that's it. Like if you don't <laughs> overtrain, they don't do shit for you. Like you take steroids so you can drive your car harder and recover faster. Like bottom line. And I'll tell these kids like, hey, like save the ace in the hole. Like 10 years from now, like if you're trying out for some team or whatever, and I, obviously I'm not endorsing athletes taking drugs. That's their personal choice. I, you know, that just disclaimer. But like if you're trying out and it's worth, you know, a million dollar contract for you and you need that ace in the hole to take it to the next level, then by all means. But don't throw your ace of cards down on the table when the other guy only has a pair of twos. Yeah. 
Like get all your ducks in a row, get your food in line, get your, you know, your training, train for five or 10 years, build your strength base up. Don't take something like that and become reliant on it. Save it for when you really need it. Mm -hmm. You know, like you don't, you don't use a hand grenade to kill a mosquito or a fly in your kitchen. Yeah. It's fly swatter. It's super interesting. I mean, you could, you could use a hand grenade, but it would be very expensive. Like it, it, the, the collateral damage is just stupid. You know, it's, so use the use the right tool for the job, and that gives you know because I've done them, you know that sixteen seventeen year old male is going to be like, oh okay, yeah. And and just a side note on that, I had a kid when I first moved here in like two thousand two. He was one of my lifting partners, and he was like seventeen years old, and he's like, dude, I want to I want to do steroids. We you know will you will you get me some? And I was like. I'm just like, oh, dude, I, I, you know, I can't do that. Then I thought to myself, okay, if I don't do something with this kid, he's going to go to some freaking greasy dude somewhere and give him whatever, you know, I came back to him and I said, Hey dude, I've got the most powerful stuff ever. This stuff is so strong, dude. It's going to make you so massive. I want you to take the, I gave him sugar pills. Yeah. I said, take two of these a day. I want you to double your calories. (laughs) Okay. And I want you to sleep. You have to get in. This stuff ain't going to work unless you get to bed at like nine o'clock every night. Mm. And we're going to start training less. We're going to train three days a week, but we're going to train harder. The dude came back. He's going to use them all out of these. The dude dude put like insane amount of weight on his lifts. He gained like, I can't remember, 25 pounds in like six months. And he came back. He's like, dude, I need more of those pills. And I said, dude, you can just go down to Kroger and they're like, you know, little, they're like, or wherever you like little, little sugar pills. And he goes, what are you talking about, dude? I said, I gave you a sugar <laughs> pill for the placebo effect. And then you ate more food and you trained hard yeah. and you slept. And so, you know, that's, that's, kinda, a, that's incredible. Yeah. And, and so the dude was like, oh, okay. I get it now. Okay. I need to get all that stuff in line. You know, I need to make sure my transmission's good and my, my rear end's good and I got really good tires and good brakes and my engine's in good shape. You know, I don't want to put a freaking supercharger on a Corolla. Yeah. You know, it's it's so interesting to me because, like, you got all these the research with steroids, too. Uh, and, and, you know, there's, like, I don't remember exactly who the author of the study is or any of that. But, um, you know, taking taking people and putting them into different groups – and, uh, you know, they, what do they usually give? They're, they'll give them maybe like 500 megs of, of test a week or something like that. So, like, certainly not the amount that, like, uh, a lifter or a bodybuilder or an athlete would take. Like, you know, people are taking a lot more than that. But, um, oh, yeah. you know, it just you put somebody on, like, maybe five or 600 megs of test anathate a week. And uh, then, you know, they divide them into multiple groups. You got like the control group that doesn't do anything. You got the group that's just on steroids, not lifting weights, the group on steroids, lifting weights, and the group not on steroids, lifting weights. And, and, you know, you can see that like just giving men testosterone, if you compare the testosterone only with no lifting, to the group that lifted with no testosterone, the group that took testosterone and did not lift will put on more muscle and get stronger as compared to the group that yeah. that lifted with no testosterone. 
Now, obviously, the group that took testosterone and lifted will add the most muscle and most strength out of all the groups. But it, it I mean, like drugs work, like obviously, like oh, they, they, they work. They clearly, yeah, they clearly work. But I think that what happens is that, you know, a lot of smart people in our industry will, will sink their teeth into something like that and say, they'll, they'll make these, these next kind of asinine statements. Well, as soon as drugs get introduced to the equation, the, what you do for training doesn't matter, you know? And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> uh, like, you know, having lived in a world of, of strongman where the majority of people are on drugs, uh, what you do for training still matters quite a bit. Uh, in the yeah. world of bodybuilding, what you do for training still matters. Powerlifting still matters. Olympic style lifting still matters. If be, be, like, just think about it. Like if there's tons of dudes in powerlifting that take shit that don't have a coach that they work with or their coach is a friggin' jerk off or something like that. But if they were to get yep. hooked up with a legitimate real deal coach, now all of a sudden their numbers usually explode. You know what I mean? Their, their competition results explode. Strongman, same thing. Like tons of dudes are, are taking all kinds of sauce and they're not doing anything. If they could get hooked up with a real coach that puts them on a real plan and monitors things and teaches them technique and all that sort of stuff, now they explode. Like everything matters. Like just because you're on drugs doesn't mean you can do whatever the hell you want and you're successful. Like you still have to do a lot of things right. I think that what happens right. in some ways is is people – you'll put people on drugs and then they'll start to actually account for all the other variables Almost because it's like, well, yes. I'm on these drugs now. I'm paying money. Uh, I'm spending money. I better do all these other things. It's this concept of like make hay when the sun's shining. You know, it's right. They, I better double down and eat more food because now I need exactly. It. So there's so many confounding variables with it to ever really know the truth. Other than you know, it, I think that it's it really is a shame that more people aren't honest about this stuff. And I don't know what what's what so many people are are so afraid of, of, of in terms of talking about this. Like, I feel like I've talked yeah. about this previously. It's not like I've been ostracized and kicked out of the fitness world. Uh, it's, it's never been an issue for me. Uh, I, I know plenty of other guys that have talked about their own personal use of performance enhancers and, and nobody's kicking them out of the group. You know what I mean? It's, it's always been sure. a thing of like, Hey, you know, I really respect the fact that you've been honest about this stuff. And like, it leads to more conversations. And I think that I think that there's just a lot of people in the world in general that are afraid of the truth. And and we're all we're all afraid yeah. of it in various parts of our lives. You know what I mean? Like I struggle with the truth in some parts of my life. I don't in other parts. But, you know, the like why like ultimately you shouldn't be afraid of just acknowledging reality. You know, if if you are yes. afraid of acknowledging reality, you're ultimately just not going to be a person that that is enjoys life as much as they they could. You know, it's it's funny because like we certainly started this with saying, hey, we're going to talk exclusively about evolution, and and I'm glad that we've gotten sidetracked and talked about some really interesting facets. But you know, it's it's always like, you know, I I think that both you and I could probably agree that that the majority of our job is behavior change on people that we work with. And even, even in your own life, it's like behavioral change is the most important thing that you can go about trying to enact. And, um, 
and and there's just some behaviors that I think are more important than others. And and I've gone on on other things before and said that, in my opinion, all roads end at sleep. And and I really Absolutely. think that whatever leads to you sleeping better is probably a good behavior to continue to implant in your life. And um and and I just think like. I don't want to knock anybody. I certainly don't want to knock at somebody like Dr. Jack Cruz, who I think is is brilliant and and has uh, ideas that that people aren't talking about, and has really exposed the a lot of people to how important light is and mitochondria and and a number of other incredibly valid scientific points. But um, you know, I, I think that some people will go overboard in terms of doing things like uh, you know making sure that they're wearing blue blockers. Uh, and I'm not discounting those, but like, let's be honest about what's preventing most people from sleeping. And it's usually like life factors. It's like low hanging fruit that people could deal with, you know? And, and to me, it's like, it's usually problems in their, their financial life, their professional life, or their relationships with family and friends that are, that are preventing them from sleeping. And and to me, that's usually what prevents me from sleeping. Like I'll be like, I could drink a cup of coffee and stare at a computer screen, like right before bed and still be able to go to bed. As long as I'm not worried about money, uh, you know, people being angry at me, me lying, me, you know, doing things that I shouldn't be doing like my guilty conscience or my lack of keeping up to date about finances or bills or something like that is probably going to be the thing that keeps me from sleeping. Not, not the, not blue light. And I'm not saying blue light isn't critically important in circadian rhythms and, uh, you know, feedback from, from cells to the superchiasmatic nucleus. But in, in my honest opinion, the low hanging fruit of just being a, a decent, decent human being who takes care of business and, and make sure that, that most of their facets of life are, are in working order is probably a bigger determining factor for getting to sleep, staying asleep. Uh, and, and again, I, I really do think if you're going to look at the likelihood of you being successful in particular in physical pursuits, that's probably the, the, that's probably the biggest performance enhancing drug that there is, is just sleep. Um, so it's, it's, uh, I don't know how the hell we got there or, or how that ties to, to anything else. (laughs) But, um, you know, I, I just think that, that the that like what I don't know I think the big things that we've been talking about today are kind of like what's really important what matters and and can we understand like that there's different tools for being able to uh, to get ultimately to the things that matter that are important that are ch- changeable in sure. in yourself and in the people that you work with and 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 I think that sometimes I've been criticized as being too theoretical in um in talks that I've given or things that I've tried to write but but i've always thought of it as like theory or models or or the the abstract or basic science like those those are the greater reality you know what i mean that's that's painting the picture of of the of the backdrop of reality that that i think is important and then like all of the tools that you can use as a coach or a practitioner or whatever you are are aimed at sending you closer to optimizing that backdrop of reality in your life or the lives of the people that you work with. And, and, and I think that's what we've been talking about here in, in many examples and in different ways of, of how we look at, at the backdrop of reality and our approaches towards guiding people there with the tools that we choose to use. And, and, 
to me, that's what makes a really good sure. conversation in the fitness industry, uh, the performance industry, or quite frankly, like whatever industry it is you work in, like the, like to, that's the money. And, and I'm just glad that, that we've been able to, uh, to kind of do this today. Absolutely. And it, it's funny, you know, and I think stuff like that is going to vary from individual to individual. Cause I know for myself, AM light exposure and then me getting the lights off at night has been crucial for me to mm. get my sleep better, you know? And then I've had people that, okay, we're going to drink water, you know, and they start, they don't drink enough water. They start drinking more water that helps them with their appetite. They're less dehydrated. They feel better. You know, that leads to them eating less food, uh, which trickles on it. You know, for, for every person, I think it's a little bit different, mm. you know, and, and, you know, I've had people, you know, where getting off birth control, you know, they were on depot shots and that was their key to getting them in a better place or people that have started meditation and that was able to get them to deal with some of the psychological crap that they had going on that reduced their stress that allowed them to sleep better. So I think, you know, everybody's kind of selling different things um, and, and finding what works for the individual that they can actually do. And it's kind of like throwing like a stone in a pond, mm. you know, that one thing for somebody might be eating protein at every meal that, you know, that, that's that thing for somebody else might be doing like some breathing drills every day, you know, some relaxation, mindfulness type stuff. So I think, you know, finding that thing that somebody can do, Hey, we're going to do this every day for two weeks. Maybe it's putting some ice packs on your stomach before you go to bed to help you relax, you know, and, and it's going to vary from person to person. Um, you know, you might be able to get away with, you know, drinking a cup of coffee and staring at a screen before bed, but some people might not be able to. I mean, I've had people unplug their Wi-Fi in their house and maybe maybe it's a placebo effect, but it, hel it helped them sleep better. So, mm. you know, it's 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 interesting dichotomy, but I think as coaches you know, that low hanging fruit is going to be different for different people. That's you know, a really I, good point. And I think, I think, you know, the fact that you and I can have these discussions and, and know that we're both have the intentions of going in the same direction, but our tools might be a little different. And then somebody who's got an autoimmune condition or something serious might have to get pretty serious about, you know, their circadian rhythms and their, their food and, and all these sort of things. So it's going to vary from person to person. Yeah, You know, so, um, there's just my kind of thoughts on this, but you know, we're going to have to wrap this sucker up cause we've been on here almost two hours. Um, but that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, uh, is because of both of us, our ability to go in different directions and kind of just go on the fly, which I wanted. And also I wanted people to see, Hey, you know what? There's more than one road to Rome. Like, oh. There's different ways to approach this and there's no reason to take this stuff personally. Totally. Like, you know, like we can disagree to disagree on stuff, politics, whatever it is. And there's no reason for us to hate each other. Yep. You know, and that's part of the problem is people get in these little groups. And if you don't agree with everything that person says, they get all bent out of shape over it. Hmm. And it's just like, really? Like, why learn from that person? You know, Go to a seminar, whether it's on breathing or PRI or FMS or whatever, and look at that and say, hey, that's something I can take and apply to what I'm already doing. 
Um, I really like that, but that other stuff that doesn't really work for me or it doesn't work for that particular client. Just, you know, one of the things I really appreciate about you is how honest you are about the PRI stuff. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of people that, oh, PRI is the world. It's the greatest thing since everything, you know. But, you know, how many 14-year-old kids am I going to be able to be mindful enough to do some of those resets? Mm -hmm. You know, and you've said it straight up. Like, I'll have somebody do a reset or have somebody do a breathing drill, and they'll think it's the stupidest thing ever. They'll tell you that straight up, and you're like, well, we're never going to do that again. Yeah. Whereas other people will be like, well, you're going to be, we're going to force you to do this because this is the only way to fix this issue. Mm-hmm. If it, if it even needs to be fixed at all, you know? So I, I appreciate that honesty and, and that ability to challenge thought process and, and discourse. And I, I really appreciate uh, what you're doing for the industry. And uh, why don't you, and I, I'm sure you'll have a little commentary on that, which is perfectly fine. Yeah. But why don't, why don't you, um, after you give your finishing, I'll let you close her out and then give people where they can contact with you and where they can get more information about you. You know, I, it just, it reminds me of like people that I get along with. And, uh, you know, I, I've never been a, a person that's been clicky. You know what I mean? Like some people like to go into their clicks with the same people and, you know, they don't, it's like, they just stay in their little box and like, I, and maybe I'm, I'm like an only child or, <laughs> you know, maybe it's my upbringing, but like, you know, I, I, I like to either be like a lone wolf or to like dive in with a group for a little while, to take a step back yes. out from that group, jump in with some other people. I like, I like a lot of different people. You know, I like to hang out with everybody and I don't like to get necessarily married to a small group of humans that like, you know, where I'm with them forever. And, and um, but I see a lot of other people in the industry kind of do that. I'm a, I'm a, this guy, I'm a, that guy. And I'm like, I'm just me, you know? And, um, and, and some of the people that I really like uh, that I, you know, that I hang out with on a day-to-day basis too. Like, like my, my training partners are, uh, you know, I got three primary guys that I work out with. I got Vinny Brandstatter, Marcos Rodriguez and Brad Pierre. And, um, and I love my training group that I'm in now, mainly because like, we just give each other a ton of shit and we make fun of each other the whole time. And, but we're also like very supportive and like, it's just a great group. And, and, um, you know, part of why I like those guys is because, you know, like my, my man, Marcos is like one of the funniest guys I've ever met my entire life. And, and he just has, you know, he uses the term dick rider for a lot of people in the industry. That like, you know, it's like they'll they'll meet me, for instance, they'll come in to meet me and they're like, oh, my God, it's so it's a pleasure to meet you. It's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And, and he's like, oh, another dick rider, huh? And I'm like, I mean, I don't look at it that way, but like it, you don't have to act different if you're talking to me like I'm I'm a pretty down to earth person, in my opinion. And like I I don't want to hang out with you unless you want to make fun of me to a little bit of a degree. You know what I mean? Like, give me some shit like be a regular person. We're really, we're really good at making fun of each other and making fun of our, we're making fun of ourselves when we make fun of each other. hundred percent. Yeah. Like it's a, but yeah, like I, <laughs> it's like those new England Patriot videos. Dude, I'm I like, I won't, I'm not even, I can't watch this. Like you're giving me anxiety. <laughs> you do. You like bomb me with these like turmoil things of Belichick and Brady. I'm like, Oh God damn it. I can't handle this. this too much stress. I'm not going to sleep now. But uh, like, like Marcos makes fun of me all the time. Vinny makes fun of me. 
And I try to give it back to those guys as much as I possibly can. And those are the guys I like to hang out with. And they question everything. They're like, you know, I heard, you know, that thing that you shared this morning, like, that was kind of bullshit. And here's why. And I'm like, thank you. Like, I appreciate you saying that. Like, you know, um, and, and, and the, like, I love that. Like, I, you know, I come from, I'm from Massachusetts and now I live in New York. And, and I think that from the, like, in terms of the United States, like, those are the two, like, shit talking meccas of the country, in my opinion. Like, everybody from those areas, we talk shit at each other. That's like terms of endearment. Like, I think, like, sometimes we'll travel to other parts of the country and we'll just act like we normally act. And people don't know what to do with us sometimes. So, like, do you guys hate each other? Like, what's going on? It's like, no, this is my buddy. Like, uh, this, this, this freaking asshole's, you know, he's the worst human being in the world. Like, you can't, you can't take this guy anywhere. But that's like just how we show love to each other in some ways. Uh, and, and I think that sets you up in some ways for, for being able to deal with, uh, discord and being able to deal with people with different opinions. Like I, I really like living in New York because of how many different types of people you interact with. You know, you interact with, with, with black people, white people, Hispanic people, people from India, people from Asia, people from the South Pacific, you, you name it. And you're going to interact with with a person from the Caribbean or South America or or somewhere, and and they're going to bring their own you know background and cultural experiences and and all of those things to the equation, and um and it's going to be something that you can potentially draw from. Like like people are pretty awesome overall. Most people. There's plenty of shitty people out there, and everybody's got shitty components to them. But you know, to me, like nobody's got all the answers everybody's fallible uh and it's the degree to which you can just kind of you know accept all of it from other people that that gives you a shot of like i don't know getting better or 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 just experiencing more i don't even know what to necessarily call it but all i know is the last thing i want is to be in a bubble of everybody thinking i'm right about stuff or that you know that there's nothing to be gained from other perspectives or, or, you know, just along those kinds of lines. Uh, it's, it's, to me, it's just like shallow. It's boring. It's too safe. It's too predictable. It's not fun. And it's not like what we as a species do at our best where we're. Yeah. I don't think it's, I don't think it's healthy either. It's not. Yeah, it's not totally. Good for your brain. That's why I love Uber. <laughs> Like, Uber is the best thing ever. Like, get to meet people from all over the world, you know, different cultures, different people. I mean, it is, I love <laughs> Uber. Like, if I had an unlimited you just ride money, around all day? <laughs> I would just, like, like for, like, three weeks, I would just, like, go around to different cities and just drive Ubers around. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so funny. I've never heard anything <laughs> like that of all, like, the, hey, if I had on, if I won the lottery, what would I do? Laird. You're, you're well that i mean there'd be a whole list of stuff have you seen that um have you seen that vehicle called i think the i have Roamer? yeah it like goes it can like drive through swamps and float on yep yeah it's like a like the it's like the second biggest like ford diesel truck and it's like a luxury rv uh it's got like a king size bed it's like this huge massive like i would buy one of those and i'd just buy a whole ton of land in colorado and i would just live in that earth roamer like that would be, that would be my existence, and then probably winter times in Mexico, and then that's like Tulum. 
I'm actually going to Tul- I'm actually going to Tulum this this week. I'm going down there to hit some cenotes. <laughs> you gonna uh, you gonna lift on that dude, beach that, with those like wooden would weights? Like nobody's gonna be able to know what to do with you there. It'll be fun, dude. I I always get looked at. And the funny thing is, as soon as I walk into the little market, there's always some little dudes that come around. You want stereoids? <laughs> Are you looking for stereoids or senoritas? You know, they, they come running up as fast as they can. Stereoids, we have stereoids here. Dude, that's crazy. Hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Uh, I'll I have a when we're done and I I finish the show, uh, uh, like the exit of the show here in a second. I'll tell you a, a story uh, about a pretty prominent friend of mine. Uh, I might have told you it already. I don't know. I can't remember. But I'll tell you, and dude, it's it's just ridiculous. It has something to do with Nogales, and when I lived in Tucson, when I was working at the University of Arizona. So, Mr. Pat Davidson, we could probably be here like all afternoon, and we'd have to divide this show up to like four or five. So, why don't you tell people where they can get stuff from you, and we'll wrap this up so I can tell you that story, and then you sounds can get good, on man. The rest uh, of your day. Everything on me can be found at drpatdavidson.com. Uh, and you know, that, that site will lead you to books and other things and articles, uh, rebelperformance.com is, uh, where the mass books are for sale. Uh, but you know, you can get those links through drpatdavidson.com as well. But, uh, yeah, Jim, this has been great. Really, uh, some, some pretty awesome conversation here. And, and again, thank you very much, man. I really appreciate it. No, no problem. And and thank you for being on and and for the uh, you know, for the listeners uh you know, we're we're not giving any medical advice. You know, this is obviously just our opinion. Um and uh take it with a grain of salt. Um and if you don't like it, you can stop listening or, you know, whatever, you know. So once again, thank you. Uh this is Jim Laird signing out for signing off for the It's okay, I do that. Um, this is, yeah. So I, once again, thank you for supporting the show. Continue to support Kiefer and his endeavors so I can continue doing this show. And this is Jim Laird signing off for the Jim Laird show brought to you by body IOFM. been listening to the jim laird show with your host jim laird if you'd like to hear more log on to body.io don't miss the next episode of the jim laird show when he'll probably say something inappropriate but unexpectedly insightful 